You know, perhaps you've heard the saying uh, before that the best things come in small packages. You ever heard that? Heard that saying before? I think there's some truth in that. As I look back upon all the different packages, the different gifts that I've bought Nadine over the years, the only ones that made her cry were the small ones that tended to have rings inside of them. Those are the ones that she, she enjoyed the most. I was thinking it's true when you're a parent that everyone loves, everyone loves a baby and that little bundle of joy, and then they grow into bigger bundles of joy as they become teenagers, and we again reminisce and dream back to when they were little bundles of joy. You know, this past week was, was my birthday, and the staff got me a gift. And so I walked into the conference room, and there was, it was rather large. It was probably, it was almost two feet by two feet, this box. It took a little while to unwrap it. Uh, it was wrapped very, very well as well. And so I opened, I took the wrapping off and I opened up the box. And what do you think was inside? Another box. Another box. <laughs> so I took that box out, it was wrapped very nicely. I unwrapped that one and opened it. And what was inside? Another box. Another box. You can kind of see where this is going. So anyways, we worked our way down to, uh, not a tiny box, but a smaller box. And, and once I removed the brick, which was added for weight, and then <laughs> got down to the final thing, I opened it up and I found a, a tiny little, little gift in there for me, which I really appreciated. Uh, metal drinking straws was what they got, which random, I know. But you see, I had been complaining a couple of days prior how, how I don't mind paper straws. I support the, you know, the, the environmental decisions that organizations are making. I just want a better paper straw, right? Like I want a paper straw that's gonna last the whole movie at Cineplex and not just sort of disintegrate halfway through. That's, that's my desire. I'm all for the paper straw thing. I just want a better quality one. So they thought these metal straws perhaps would be the best. Uh, the point is, is that small packages, size doesn't always accurately determine the value of something. And that's actually gonna be a case in point for the next two weeks. Because for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at two of the smallest, shortest books of the Bible. The book of Philemon and the book of Jude. They're easy to miss. They're less than one page each. You uh, rarely ever hear messages preached on these particular books. Also because some of the content can be a little confusing at times. And we're not sure what to do with it or how to apply it to our own lives. But according to BibleGateway.com, these are among some of the most neglected books that we have in the Bible, which is kind of surprising because if you think about some of those really awkward kind of minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament, you would just think those make up the list of neglected books. But no, actually Philemon and Jude easily make their way into that list of books that don't often get studied and looked at. But we need to be aware of these books because they are part of the inspired Word of God. They are in our Bible, and so we need to take time to, to see what is the message that God has for us that exists in each of those today. So today we're going to look at the book of Philemon. Now as we do this, I'm going to be telling you a story. I'm going to tell you a great story. It has all the makings of a great story. It has conflict. It has betrayal. It has a hero. It has a life and death decision. But you know what it doesn't have? It doesn't have a conclusion. There's no ending. We don't actually know how the story ends. It leaves us in a place where we get to contemplate how we would write the final chapter of that story if we had a chance to do so. So this story is found in the events that, um, that prompted Paul to write a letter, a short letter, to one of his friends, a guy, a brother in Christ, by the name of Philemon. Now, maybe you've read this book in the past. Maybe you've, you've flipped through it, seen the table of contents, and you've wondered, what is the story behind this? 
Or as you've gone through it, you thought, you know, I'm kind of confused what to do with this book. And so what I hope to accomplish today is to bring this book of the Bible to life for you. So that we just don't have knowledge of Jesus. And see, this is one of the main things that we see in the book of Philemon, is that the Christian faith is not something we are just supposed to know and believe. It's something we're supposed to do. It's something we're supposed to actively live out in the real life decisions and challenges that face us in this world. So the book of Philemon, if you, I'll have the, the verses up on the screen, but if you want to follow along, I encourage you to turn to that book. You'll find it about three quarters of the way through the New Testament, uh, or you can use the table of contents if you want in your Bible, if it's hard to find, because it is just that one page amongst all the others in there. Now, in the, old, in, in the New Testament, the 27 books we have there, 13 of them are letters written by Paul. And most of the letters that we have are Paul writing to churches on matter of faith and conduct. But a handful of these letters are things that he wrote to individuals. And the book of Philemon happens to be one of these letters he wrote to an individual. It was a guy that he had met while probably ministering in Ephesus. And they had become friends, and Paul, their friendship grew in this place called Ephesus. And, and as the friendship grew, Paul was sharing his life and his faith with Philemon, who eventually became a believer. And when he went back to his hometown, Philemon went back to his hometown of Colossae, he became a leader of the church that eventually started in that location. And this letter begins, as Paul writes to his friend Philemon, this letter begins as most of Paul's letters do. You'll see that there's a common pattern that follows where Paul identifies himself as the author and then he identifies who the recipient is to be, kind of like an email, the, the, the to and the from. And then there's the greeting followed by the blessing, these four things that happen in most of Paul's letters. We see them here. And we don't want to skip them because they're not just pleasantries and niceties. Quite often they give us a very clear hint of the context of what just to follow. And such is the case in the first seven verses of the book of Philemon. So if you're you're following along on the screen, if you have your Bibles open, we can look at Philemon verse 1, where it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, who is believed to be Philemon's wife, who Paul here calls a sister in Christ, to Archippus, a fellow soldier. Archippus was believed to be the pastor of the church that happened uh, to exist the Colossian church that was there, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul identifies himself here as the author. He also mentions that his protege, Timothy, is there with him, helping him. And, but he refers to him here, himself here as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. This is important. There's a double meaning that's going on here. On one hand, Paul is identifying the physical reality. See, he's writing this letter while he is in jail in Rome. He is literally a prisoner in Rome for preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. But on a more metaphoric level, what Paul is saying here, which will become important later, is that he is not just a physical prisoner of Jesus Christ in Rome, but he has been captured by the love of Christ that he is constrained by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, and that makes him a prisoner more so than any metal shackles that Rome may be able to put on his hands. And that he's writing here, his primary recipient is to Philemon, who he calls a fellow worker. This term fellow worker is, is used by Paul quite often to speak of those who had the same journey as him, the same missional focus of wanting to reveal the difference that Jesus can make in a life The difference that Jesus makes because of his death upon the cross for people's sins. 
But he also makes reference here to the church that meets in his home. And this gives us more understanding of who Philemon was. It lets us know that he was a wealthy man and that he was a man of good reputation. Because when it talks about a church meeting in your house, it's, it's not like perhaps your life group where you have a dozen people in your living room. The church that he'd be speaking about here would be many dozens, if not a few hundred people who would gather in his home. And it was more, of a, more so than just a home, it was like a compound that Philemon would have owned and would have been the master of with, with many servants and many employees and many family members. And the church would come gather in this compound to celebrate on a regular basis. And Paul also brings it up, not just to identify who Philemon is, but because the, the topic of this letter is going to be a decision Philemon needs to make. But whatever decision Philemon makes, it's going to have an effect upon the entire church that meets in his home. And then he extends these words in the blessing, where he says, in the greeting, he says, grace and peace to you. These aren't just pleasantries. These are actually virtues that are going to come up again that need to be exercised in this letter. What is grace? He's saying, Philemon, I'm going to need you to exercise grace. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God that Philemon himself has experienced when he confesses sins before the Lord and, and God's forgiveness that Philemon didn't deserve. God's grace forgave those sins. What is peace? Peace is this sense of this calm steadfastness that doesn't exist because of any situations in our lives. It exists because of God's presence in every situation in our lives. Grace and peace be with you. And then moving to the blessing in verse 4 through 7, Paul expounds a little further upon these where he, he says these words. He says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. It might sound here like Paul's kind of buttering them up for something. And... and and all these niceties, you know, I've heard of all these wonderful attributes you have. You're such a nice guy. You're so kind. You're so generous. You're, you're so hospitable. And, and maybe there's a little bit of that, but these aren't falsehoods. These, these aren't things that are untrue. These are actually, again, more specific themes that Paul is trying to prime Philemon for, to remind him to bring these things to the surface. Philemon, I know you're a guy who loves all of God's people. I know you love all of God's people. You've shown that through your fellowship, through your partnership in the faith with these people who meet in your home. And that word partnership becomes very critical in this letter. You see, the word partnership shows up here. It's also going to show up again a second time at, a, at kind of the climax of the letter. And it's this Greek word koinonia. And koinonia means about anything that two or more people can share in together. Anything that two or more people have a mutual partnership in. And here he says, Philemon, you and all the other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who meet in your home, you all have this fellow mutual partnership in the things of Christ and in sharing the gifts of grace and sharing the gifts of love, of experiencing the peace and the unity of Christ. You all have koinonia around these things. And Philemon, I know that you've received many fellow believers into your home, that you show incredible hospitality to them. It's another way that you're a partner with them in Christ. 
And he's calling these things the surface because this is ways in which Philemon is putting into practice the belief that he himself has about who Jesus is. He's not just resting on his beliefs and knowledge of Christ. He's putting it into practice. And they are experiencing all the benefits of authentic Christian community because of that. That's what Paul's stressing here in the first seven verses. He's stressing that faith is not just something for us to believe in. It's not something that Philemon himself just believes in. It's something that he does. It's something that he is currently living out. So what's the context of his letter? Paul is writing to a well-respected, well-to-do follower of Jesus Christ who hosts the, or sorry, the, the Colossian church in his home. But he's also a guy who's going to soon need to put into practice God's gifts of grace, love, and koinonia to all of God's people is the context for which this letter exists. You kind of get the sense Paul might be ready to drop a bit of a bomb here. He's, he's, he's kind of set him up with all these different ideas and thoughts and virtues, and now there's something coming, and he actually doesn't waste any time. See, the modern-day audience would kind of be lost on this fact a little bit, but Philemon already has a clue of what's coming because this letter he's reading was handed directly to him by a guy by the name of Onesimus. Here's what we read in verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and I could order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than I, Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. So we need to know who this guy is. Who is Onesimus? Well, the backstory we can piece together from the letter Philemon, but also from the letter in, in Colossians a little bit, we find that Philemon is not just a well-respected, well-to-do church leader. He's not just a wealthy man. He, like most other people of wealth in that time, is also a slave owner. And Onesimus, at some point, was a slave of Philemon's, and they had had a conflict because Onesimus had somehow cheated Philemon or stolen from him. And when it started to come to light that he had done that, he ran away. And when he ran away, he ended up in Rome. And whether he sought Paul out or if it was by the hand of God, Onesimus and Paul meet each other. And again, just as happened through Paul and Philemon, they make a friendship. And Paul starts to share his life with Onesimus. And he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. And then even a step further, he becomes a beloved assistant of Paul while he is in chains in Rome. Now this puts Paul in a difficult situation, a very delicate situation as well, because he now has two brothers in Christ. He has Philemon as a brother in Christ. He has Onesimus as a brother in Christ, but both of them have an unresolved situation between them, and that can't be ignored. If they were social equals, this wouldn't be that big of an issue. He could just tell them to refer back to some other letters I wrote about unity and about just being reconciled with one another. But there's this added complication of the relationship between the two being of a slave and a master dynamic. And so it's not just enough for Philemon to forgive Onesimus. That's not enough. He also needs to embrace him as a brother in Christ as well. Now to receive a letter from Paul is a big deal. 
When, when somebody shows up and hands you a letter written by the hand of Paul, who was known to these church leaders as a spiritual father and as a personal mentor to many, it was a huge deal. And Philemon considered himself to be a spiritual son of Paul. And he would have followed any command that Paul gave him. But Paul knows this. And instead of saying, here's what I need you to do, you need to do this, he instead appeals to him. He says, I'm not going to order you to do anything. I'm going to appeal to you as a prisoner of Jesus Christ to do what's right. In part because this has to be his own choice, that, that Paul chooses to lay down any authority he has. Paul chooses to lay down any rights that he may have or have attributed to him by other people. But at the same time, he's going to be asking Philemon to embrace this man and to forgive him. And that can't truly be commanded. You can't command a heart to do that. You have to choose to voluntarily do that. And so he does not use his authority. He lays that down and he makes this appeal for Philemon to receive him back. He appeals on the basis of koinonia. That they are partners in grace. They are partners in love of Jesus Christ. And it's from this posture that Paul sends not only Onesimus, but also this letter to appeal to Philemon. And we get to verse 12 where it says, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. So that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary, as it appropriately should be. So the last time Philemon saw this man, he knew him as two things. One, a slave, and two, a thief. And the social order of the day demanded, expected, gave Philemon the authority to have this man punished. The punishment could take any forms. He could have him flogged and then returned to service. He had the right to have him branded so that he would carry a mark on his body of what he had done. He had the right to take him from the cushy service of a house and sell him to somebody who would make him work in the mines. He had the right to even have him crucified upon a cross. But Paul's asking him to voluntarily lay down his rights. He's asking Philemon to respond in a completely countercultural way. And, and he uses a bit of a play on words to, to start to move towards this. When, when he says that Onesimus means was useful to them both. See, the word Onesimus means useful. That's the translation of it, is, is useful. And he's not speaking here that, you know, while he was in my service, I had the chance to train him and, and he lifted some weights and he's stronger than he was before, so he's useful to you now. He, he's checked his attitude at the door and he's got a better perspective coming back to you in terms of being useful now. What he's saying is he's useful to both of us now, speaking of the transformation that has happened within him because he's now a follower of Jesus Christ. He now has a new identity. He has a new passions. He's now part of the family. Paul is saying to him, St. Philemon, Onesimus was formerly a slave that you couldn't count on, but now he is a brother in Christ in whom you must. And so Paul moves to make the bold request now. Not only to forgive Onesimus, but to receive him back as a brother. Which we read in verse 15 where it says, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while is so that you may have him back forever. No longer a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother. 
He's a very, <clears throat> he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. This puts Philemon in a real spot. You see, the Roman civilization was built upon an understanding and acceptance of slavery. This was the basic labor force of the empire. Now, it started off that only prisoners of war and, and those who were guilty of capital crimes were, were enslaved and put to work to help build the empire, but, but that eventually expanded over time. So that's who initially were, were the slaves, but it reached a point in this civilization that people who were poor and couldn't afford to look after themselves, people who perhaps incurred a debt that was beyond their ability to pay, they could actually sell themselves into slavery and thereby have a means of survival because somebody would then look after them and care for them and provide for them and their family. This had become such a common practice, such an accepted reality of the Roman emperor, uh, Empire back in the first century that it's estimated that as many as 25% of the population was in some sort of, of servitude to another person. It came up at a, at a, a meeting of, of, of the wealthy leaders of the empire at one point that perhaps we should make them all dress the same so we can identify who's a slave and who's not. They decided, no, we can't do that because if they realize how many of them are, that could lead to problems. 25% of the population, it's estimated, was part of this major social class of the Roman Empire. It developed to not just be people who did the undesirable jobs, it actually became people who had all sorts of jobs that, that some people in this very room would hold to this day. For example, you would have people who worked in your homes as, as cooks and janitors, dishwashers, gardeners, musicians. They'd serve as couriers, seamstresses, secretaries, childcare workers. Working for the city for civil services, they would be doing maintenance. They could also be found as treasurers. They even found people who were considered slaves as treasurers and supervisors, as architects, as writers, as tutors. There's even examples of some being doctors within the community. See, the type of work wasn't the issue. The type of work they were given wasn't the issue. Many even received a good wage for the work that they had done so they could actually buy their way out of servanthood at some point. That wasn't the issue. The problem was the legal status and the treatment of slaves. Because there were two different classes of people that existed. There were the freemen who were protected under the law and had human rights. And then there were the slaves who when you sold yourself into slavery or when you were commanded into slavery, it is said that you suffered a civil death. So you no longer had any rights. You no longer had any protections. You were no longer permitted to possess anything, not even to possess your own children. And so Paul is asking a slave owner to lay down his socially accepted, culturally normative rights and to see this slave through the eyes of Jesus Christ. That was absolutely unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. Had never existed before. It would completely upset the social order of the, of the community in which he lived. But he's calling Philemon to challenge the status quo. And he's calling this into question. So why would Philemon do this? Like, why would he want to do this? Well, Paul returns back to the key theme we talked about at the beginning, where he says in verse 17, if you consider me a partner, as Paul speaking, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, 
charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this on my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you for the Lord, for in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. There's that word again, partnership. If you consider me a partner, Paul's saying if we have any koinonia, if we have any mutual partnership together, Whatever you would extend to me on that basis, you now have reason to extend it to him. See, this is the heart of the gospel message that Paul has been preaching and is being acted out. See, the heart of the gospel message, we see this in in Paul's letters. First of all, in a letter he wrote to the church in Corinth where he talks about how reconciliation is part of God's mission. He says in 2 Corinthians uh, 5.19, He says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ, not counting people's sins against them. But then second part here goes, and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Meaning if we have received it, if we believe that we've been transformed and received this reconciliation from God, by God, with God in our own lives, we now have to live that out in our lives. But then secondly, Paul doesn't ignore the fact that Onesimus has wronged Philemon. You you can't just sweep that under the rug and pretend he didn't do whatever cheating, stealing act he had done. He knows that if reconciliation is going to happen between these two men, that payment must be made. And so Paul chooses to put himself in the place of Jesus Christ. And he says, Philemon, I will absorb the consequences. Philemon, I will pay the cost. Whatever he stole from you, whatever his crime against you is, whatever punishment you see fit, I will absorb it. I will take it upon myself. Why? So that you can be reconciled. And because Paul was willing to stand in the gap in the place of Jesus Christ, it opens the door for this koinonia to be possible where Paul is united with Philemon, who is united with Onesimus, all equal before Jesus Christ. Because all of them have fallen short of God's glory. All of them need the same forgiveness that is made possible from Christ. And all of them stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. Therefore, there is no longer this relationship of slave and master because they have mutual participation in the family of God, which Paul also talks about in a letter he wrote to the church in Colossians, a church in in which Philemon, Onesimus, Archippus, Aphia and dozens and dozens of others are a part of, also received a letter from Paul where he says in, second, in uh, Colossians 3.11, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Having made this appeal, having made this bold request, having justified the reason behind this bold request, Paul now begins to close his letter with a sense of confidence. Confidence that Philemon will do the right thing, and actually even more. He's so confident that he actually invites himself to come for a visit. So that whenever he's freed from visiting, he says, hey, prepare that room for me. Make sure the bed's made because I'm coming to see you when I get out of here. And as was traditionally done, he also includes greetings from other fellow prisoners of Christ that are with him. And the final words we see in the book of Philemon, it says this, Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare that guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. 
Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, Jesus Christ sends greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And then the letter ends. And we're left to wonder, what happened next? What did Philemon do at the end of this letter? See, we can never know for sure. But at times I love it when books of the Bible end like this because it leads us to have to think. It leads us to have to process and apply, okay, if this is the message of Paul, if this is the lesson he was trying to communicate to Philemon, how does it affect us? How would we finish the story if we take it out of the context of Philemon and place it into the context of our own lives? Here's how I think it ended. Here's how I think it ended. Onesimus was a courier. Remember, he traveled what amounts to almost 1,000 miles with this letter that was sealed from the hand of Paul. He had no idea what was written on this letter. If he had showed up and the seal was broken, that would have been another crime. He showed up with a sealed letter, no idea what was written on it. He walks up to the door, I can imagine fairly sheepishly. Last time he left there, he had some stolen goods in his hand as he fled out a window. And now he walks up to the front door and knocks. The door opens and there is Philemon and Aphia answer. They are shocked to see this man standing in front of them. And they scowl, but before they have a chance to say anything to them, he holds out his hand and offers them a letter. They take it and they see it's a letter from Paul. At first they think, what kind of joke is this? What kind of act, what kind of game is he playing now? What is he up to handing me this piece of paper? We can't trust this guy. But as they open the seal and they unroll it and they start to read, Philemon reads the words, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, to Philemon, a dear brother and fellow worker. Onesimus would have just been standing there kind of sheepishly, probably standing on the ground just waiting Eyes down, thinking it's just a matter of time. Like, like he's going to have me arrested. I'm, I'm going to be shipped off somewhere. I'm probably going to be beaten or worse. And he waits a minute, but not, not too long. It's only 25 verses. And finally, he finishes the letter and he rolls it back up. As he raises his head and he locks eyes with Onesimus, there's this moment of pause, there's this moment of tension. And he extends a hand. And he grabs his hand and he shakes and the handshake turns into an embrace and he whispers the words, my brother. And Aphia, who had been reading over his shoulder the whole time, smiles and says, we need to celebrate. And she recalls the story of Jesus and the lost sheep where there was one who had wandered off into open country, but then when he went out and found him, he came back and he called all of his friends and he called all of his neighbors to come together and rejoice. Why? Because as Jesus declared, in the same way there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. And as they all sit down together and they have dinner together and they talk about the grace of Jesus, they, they talk about the love of God that is shown through, that they've experienced in their own lives. The hour starts to get late and the candle is getting low. And the question comes up, where, where are you going to sleep? They thought, well, we could ship you back to the slaves' residences. But, but then, no, they recall the words of Paul in the letter that says, welcome him as you would welcome me. Prepare the guest room because I'm coming to visit you. Prepare that VIP room in the compound where you would put Paul and they make up the bed in the room for Onesimus who was once only defined as a thieving slave, a wretched soul who is now a brother in Christ and is welcomed into community. And then that coming Sunday as the church gathered in Philemon's house, they welcomed Onesimus into fellowship. 
and Archippus stood up and he delivered the very first sermon out of a book that would become known as the book of Philemon. As he reminded everybody gathered there assembled that we were all once slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to Christ. It's not something the world understands. It's not something the world would understand us to do and be about. It doesn't make sense to them, but it is made possible by God and by God alone. How an amazing grace can be poured out upon a person and take them from a wretch such as us and make us saved. So that whether you are a Jew or Gentile, whether you are a slave or you are free, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level because we all share in the same Jesus. We all share in the same death. He died for our sins and made it possible for us to share in the same koinonia. If you had not accepted the freedom of Jesus Christ in your life and you are here today, Jesus Christ has paid that price. And you can stand, nay, you can kneel at the foot of that cross and you can be set free this very day as Onesimus was, as everybody who gathered in that church, as everybody who gathers in this church can experience. And if you have made that decision in the past, if that is a present reality of who you are, that you know your life is no longer defined by shame, guilt, sin, and death, but instead that you are free because of Jesus Christ, you are a child of God because of Jesus Christ, you are heir with Christ, then that is not just something we believe, it is not just something we know, it is something that we go and we do. And we share in the reality of Jesus with those around us. This is the heart of the gospel message. It's not something we just believe. It's not just something that we are. It's something that we do. It's what we live out. And I believe that's what Philemon did.